You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we're joined by Courtney Fricky. Courtney, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Hey, man. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Sterling. Courtney, can you uh, kind of tell us your story, uh, what you did before real estate, how you got into investing, and, and kind of what you're doing these days? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, instead of going to college, I worked in the nonprofit sector. I worked for a few years in Texas with a nonprofit and I lived overseas working in the nonprofit world. And whenever I had came back home down to uh, the North shore area in New Orleans, I started to um, really kind of think, Hey, because I had just gotten out of that, I was starting to look, Hey, how can I kind of plant my feet. And so I was thinking about a career. And at that time I was doing some part-time jobs and I had stumbled into based on a referral of a friend, I got referred to, uh, to take their position as a manager in a job. And it kind of just worked in the meantime for me. And so that was where he, uh, he wanted me to replace him. He was a, uh, assistant manager for a Marina and long story short, I got that job. So that was my introduction into the real estate industry, but I, I can't make this up. And, um, day one. So, so I told him, I said, shoot straight with me, man. What's the, the upside, the downside with the job. And he was like, Oh, you know, if you're the assistant manager. The manager is a little rough. He does have cancer. So you've got to like help him on the days that he goes to, you know, go get chemo and stuff. But he, you know, he's brash. And, and I said, okay, okay. Well, the, it was a marina owned by an apartment complex corporation that was based out of California. And so HR had flown in from California to do my paperwork and whatnot. But the real training was going to come from the guy because it was the one marina that they had owned in their whole apartment complex portfolio. And so they get there. And day one was a Monday and the guy from California, you know, was sitting me down doing my paperwork. Um, and I knew that that was the day the manager would get their chemo was on Mondays. We got a phone call and I remember the guy from California being like, Oh no, unfortunately the guy passed away mm. the first day on the job. And so then he just kind of, the guy from California kind of was like, well, we're going to have to figure this one out because the majority of my day-to-day training of like the day-to-day operation was going to come from this guy. Everything was in his head. Like, because it was such an anomaly for the company, right? One Marina out of all these apartment complexes, everything, it was the redheaded stepchild of the company. So I was just going, cause it was a salary job with benefits, you know, and, and, uh, it fell on my lap. Well, that introduced me in the real estate industry as an employee. So I get that. And kind of just as a go-getter, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to figure this out. Day one, that, that job had, uh, the Marina, it was 105 slip Marina that had 40% of it was occupied. So it had a ton of vacancies and it had one star reviews on every site that mattered for boaters. Yeah. So it was mismanaged, right? Took me two years, but just, just as the type of, let me go and, you know, leave a place better than I found it type of mentality that I grew up with. Right. Um, Next thing I know, within two years, I get it to where it's 100% occupied. Um, And over that time, I had started doing um, some marketing, helping the company do some marketing, building some systems. And I just figured it out. And then uh, it was during that time that I really started to realize that, oh, 
Like this was actually really helping the marina. Well, they put it for sale. And I realized that it actually helped it so much that they were like, oh, it's finally performing and singing. Let's, you know, let's sell it. And uh, I had two mentors that were tenants in that marina. And one of them was a business owner and one of them was a landlord. And they taught me a lot. Um, But one of them very specifically said, Courtney, you don't understand what you just came in and did for this company. You just made them a ton of money. And uh, he's like, I hope that if you learn anything is that you learn that that was a skill set that you just was forced into kind of figuring out and learning. And he said, you need to go find a way to do it for yourself. And uh, it was during that time that, you know, the, uh, the landlord was the one that had started leaving me some books in his uh, doc box to read, you know, the rich dad, poor dad, and some other books. And, um, and so it was during that time I was there for four whole years. And um, I, obviously I was learning about property management. I was, you know, all of that stuff, but um, I really started thinking long-term for myself and, and building wealth and also an income and, and all that stuff. And uh, so I bought my first property while I was there at the Marina, but I had to take, you know, a vacation day to go do X, Y, Z. And so, um, but that first property, the bug really bit me. And uh, it wasn't too long after that, that I gave my, gave my notice there and, and went full-time in real estate buying more properties. But that was kind of really, it, it wasn't, it was, it was seeing real estate in action as an employee, right? Seeing it in the industry, but also seeing having those two mentors that really, they really taught me a lot. And it really opened my eyes to, to what does it look like to actually build wealth through owning businesses and owning real estate? Awesome. Uh, I've got a question. So you said you, you bought your first property, your first couple of properties, and then you just quit your job to go buy a bunch mm-hmm. more doing full time. What do you mean by that? Because did you go to like, were you, did you start as a real estate agent or how did you make money to buy properties? Yeah. So, uh, so I only bought one property while I was employed. Um, And then the rest I started doing afterwards. I had actually um, received a, a small loan from a family member. So I had moved back in the country and I was like, okay, um, in my early twenties, I was, I moved back in with my mother and I said, I don't want to be the, the millennial that stays at home forever. So I had started looking and I was pretty, um, frugal at that point. So I said, look, I, I don't necessarily want to go rent. So I started researching ways to kind of hack the renting because I didn't have the credit and I didn't have the funds to necessarily go buy the traditional way. And so I was looking into all sorts of creative ways. And then um, that's when I had uh, two family members reach out. One of them who was a real estate agent. um, And the other one was, um, you know, a family member who said, you know, I'll loan you some money to help you get your first property. Um, So I ended up buying a condo. It was, um, that was my very first, my very first purchase. So the real estate agent said, Hey, I know you're not really a big fan of condos because the Marina had a whole bunch of condos associated with it. So I was fighting HOAs all day long. And, uh, she was like, but Hey, this just came on the market today. I know your, your dad told me you were looking, but it was a short sale. And so it was a condo her son, my cousin had owned in that complex. So she knew the values and the history of the complex. And she said, look, this is a really good deal. Um, and that's when that opportunity came up and then the family loan kind of coincided with it. So I bought it 
with the bidding war, bought it for $40,100. And then, and I was sweating because I mean, we had this bidding war and I'm like, I feel like (laughs) I have pennies in my pocket. These people probably have hundred dollar bills, you know? Yeah, uh, they have more. Well, because it was my first time ever doing anything with real estate, like as a purchase, right? And so, um, so then I got it and it was a fixer upper. So it was a short sell. I went under contract in August. We didn't close until January. So we had that whole process. Um, so then I went and got a Home Depot credit card and I used it to where it was, they had a promotion where it was like 12 or 24 months, same as cash. So no interest. If you basically made a large, it was like a a large purchase. And then if you paid it off in payments, it would be 0% interest. And so I was like, okay, so that's what I used to buy the, um, all of the the stuff to fix it up. And I did 90% of the work myself. Um, I had my brother-in-law come in and show me how to lay flooring. My uncle showed me how to change light fixtures and this, that, and the other, we painted it, you know, renovated it. And I put 5,000 into it. So using that credit card hack, uh, I put 5,000 into it. And so at that point, um, that, that loan with the family member was a promissory note. So it wasn't tied to the property. So I bought it with cash. So I had, you know, the property was owned outright. So I went and got a line of credit against it and it was worth $85,000. And I was like, how do I do this again and again? You know? So that's when the bug bit me and I was like, how do I do this again and again? And so, um, but, and it was, a that was that first property. So I was still working at the Marina and I would go and do those renovations after hours. It took me nine weeks to, to do the renovations on that condo, uh, taught me a ton. And, um, so, so that was January of 2016 that I bought it. So it took me a few weeks and then I moved into it as a, um, it's kind of as a house hack. Right. And then I used that line of credit. Like the goal was to use that line of credit to, to buy more properties. Sure. Awesome. And today you have, you think you were telling me yesterday, 38. Yeah. Today. Yeah. And so those are the buy and holds. I've done about over 150 deals, done a lot more like, you know, flipping some creative finance, some owner, you know, some stuff like that. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So do you still do the work? No, no. Um, (laughs) so that first deal I did 90% of the work was mostly me. And then 10%, I had hired a family member to help me uh, do some stuff with the stairs and whatnot. Uh, the next one was probably about 60%. I did it 40% hired. Now it's usually 99% hired every now and then I have to slap my hand. Cause I still get into that 1%. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, I was, yeah. I was, I was blessed enough to be so terribly unhandy that I was <laughs> tempted to do the work. I do. I do talk a lot about like turning over property management and outsourcing mm-hmm. accounting and, and yeah. podcast edited all these different things oh. that you like try and hold on to, to save money. And, and even though you're terrible at them, and, and when you turn them over and I'm not saying you were terrible, I'm just saying like, I, I was terrible at a lot of things mm-hmm. that I refused to let go of. And, you know, once I finally, cause I didn't want to spend the money right with property management. I was, I, I managed my first 26 properties by myself and I was like doing the numbers. I was like, I know I'm going to be giving away tens of thousands of dollars a year. I can't do that. And then like, yeah. once I did, like I almost immediately tripled my portfolio because mm-hmm. I had the free time to go do what I'm good at, which is finding deals and financing deals. You know what I mean? 
what I mean? And finding investors yep. and stuff. So, and I don't know the first thing about fixing a pipe. So like a, 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 a person would call me at nine o'clock at night. I'd piss off my wife and go drive across town at nine o'clock at night and look at a broken pipe and go, yep, pipe's broken. Better call a plumber. You know what I mean? Right. So it's a complete waste <laughs> of everybody's time. Yeah. Um, and so, so when I, when I turned the property manager over management over, it was, it was great. I have a, I'm on a Mac computer right now. I've never owned a Mac in my life, but when I started this podcast, I've been on, you know, normal, um, PCs, but when I started this podcast, was, everybody said Mac is great for editing audio and video. And I had these grandeur illusions that I was going to do that, even though I'm right. like not tech savvy at all. And I got about an hour into it and realized, okay, I need to outsource this. And, and honestly, if I was doing it myself, yeah. I would have quit doing this podcast two years ago. You know, um, <laughs> you had never gotten traction. You had never right. gotten any momentum. Right. So, well, no, and that's an excellent point. I, I've learned that whenever you're not good at something or it's not your zone of genius, like the thing that you're gifted at, don't get me wrong. I do things that make me uncomfortable all the time, but there's also knowing the difference of what is like a force feed. And when you do that, you, it takes you so much longer to do it. It drains you from any other momentum you may have. And so I've just learned, what do they say? Like, um, the less I do, the more I make. Um, yeah, as far yeah. as learning how to outsource, learning how to collaborate, learning how to delegate, things like that. It's not easy. It's easier said than done, but, but there's some truth in it for sure. Yeah, no, I, I've every, I still struggle every time with making another hire, mm -hmm. outsourcing another task, you know, hiring, spending thousands of dollars on a CPA, you know, hiring a, an intern, hiring this person. And but every time I see like a noticeable uptick in my business, every time I like, like immediately they, they, the, whatever I'm spending is three X in, in the value produced on the growth side. So, um, that's yeah. why I wanted to bring that up. I, I never did any work because I wasn't even ever capable of doing any of the, the actual, you know, repair work myself, but I figured it was the same concept that I, I didn't well, expect that you were still doing it. So, so, you know, I was, I grew up, my parents are both from Mississippi. I live in Louisiana. So I, I'm, you know, a little bit country, right? So I grew up learning how to fix things with my dad, this, that, and the other. It's not a matter of knowing how on my end, what I have learned, and this has been true from all the mentors along the way, is that those who make, um, who have built wealth through real estate, some of the best um, examples, it's, it breaks everyone's heart. But you actually, we don't care about the actual house. Like, I'm not excited about the color of the walls, the decorations, the, the, I can't tell you what flooring we put in the properties. I can't tell you what color the wall is or this side. Or, I'm like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't because for Everything me, the I sticks is agreeable gray. <laughs> probably, we probably do some, I know it's something gray, but I don't I, like, you know what I mean? Like, because I, it breaks people's heart because they see HGTV and they see people who are fascinated with the house. That is not what makes me money. It is, it's not me being a wizard at decorating or remodeling. What makes me money is finding deals and building allies within the real estate industry. Like for example, the financing part, right? It is, it is finding those deal and it is managing the, uh, the investment, right? So it's not maybe necessarily hands-on investing, but it's, it's not really that, that physical part. People get caught up in that all the time. I am not good at so many things that sometimes it's hard for, from, you know, I'm afraid of like 
people going, well, what are you good at? And that's like, cause I'm like, I'm not, I'm not techie. I'm not, you know, handy. I'm not, I, I can't, yeah. I don't like staring at spreadsheets all day. So like eventually you're like running out of the list, like what, what I, and what I've found, and I think I, I read this in some entrepreneurship book in college, but what I'm good at and what most of us are that are, that have a lot of success and can't point their finger on something they're specifically good at is we're good at marshalling resources. Hmm. You know, networking, getting people to, you know, getting wholesalers to bring us deals, getting, you know, talking to enough banks to find lenders that'll do the deal strategically the way we need to do it, you know, finding investors to fund the the equity portion of or whatever. We're just good at putting all the pieces together and kind of managing the rodeo. Yeah. Yeah. They uh I was just speaking last night with one of my one of my good friends, and she's like, Courtney you need to spend less time in front of a computer and more time out in the streets. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's exactly what it is. Right. Like whether it's on the phone, building relationships, things like this with you, right. Building relationships with people, getting to know people. That is where I'm at my best. Yeah. And you can outsource pretty much everything else except for the relationship building piece. Right. I yeah. mean, anything that can be done on a computer can be done by virtual assistants. You know what I mean? They can be done by interns, anything. Yeah that can be done on a computer or that can be, you know, physical labor or running supplies or property management, any of it can be outsourced. And the only thing that, that really can't be outsourced is the, is the relationship piece. Yeah. And that's what you don't want to outsource because when people outsource that part, that's when you can tell that they're being very transactional and it's very, Hey, I'm in here to get X, Y, Z done and boop, boop, in and out. And you can smell that a mile away. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so tell it. You, you when we talked yesterday, you said that you, um, you you started flipping and wholesaling a bunch of deals, and mm-hmm. then at some point recently, you go, well, wait a minute, this this isn't translating to long term, um, and you started holding things. What what, what what was that transition like for you? And yeah. how do you determine if you're going to flip something or if you're going to hold it? Yeah. So, so obviously I'd left the job at the Marina. So I had to replace an income, right? So I had to pitch food on the table. So I, I had started off as a flipper. So that first property was a a live-in flip. And then the next one that I bought, I put in my two weeks notice and I went and put in an offer on a property. So it was like, I was committed. So I started flipping and I started wholesaling and that active income is great. But, but I, I realized that I had gotten addicted to that quick cash, right? But the reality was, is I regret some of those properties that I sold. And it was around that time that I started realizing, like there was a few properties I wholesaled. Do you know, you know, Sc- you know who Jay Scott is? Yeah. He, yeah. The guy who wrote the book on flipping houses. So I interviewed him and he said that his, he regrets selling every house he ever sold. And I don't I know if it's every that house great. that I sold. Like there probably will become a, a level in my career as an investor that I will regret every house. But there, like, I very specifically have a few houses that I was like, oh, man, I wish, I wish I would have kept those. Sure. Because, um, and like, obviously, I don't want to live in regret, but it was in those times. So, one of my favorite mentors, he says, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Well, during those times, what was hard for me was the money part. And so, that was always my big thing was I can get short term money to flip and whatnot or wholesaling that doesn't take a lot of money. 
but it was that long-term stuff that I was struggling. I just quit my job. No bank was going to lend with me. You know, I was still building all that up. And so it was during that time when I started having those regrets, like, man, yeah, I made 15 or 20,000 on a wholesale fee, but man, I really should have kept that. Like that would have been a good one. And then it was when I started getting around mentors who they were doing, you, you want to get around people who are doing what you want to do, like who you want to become. And every single one of them, when I looked for people who were building wealth, it was people who held properties or, you know, and so I started saying like, well, what am I not doing? I'm not holding properties. And in order to do that, I had to learn how to figure out the money part, right? I could find deals. I obviously knew how to find deals and to renovate them. Now I just, and my background was in property management. I had the skills. I just need the skill set of finding money and, and, and doing that part. Um, so that was one of those big things that um, what has been most difficult is I, I joke that I'm a recovering wholesaler and flipper because I still will wholesale and flip from time to time. I relapse, yeah. but um but but because it's been because that easy money, I mean that quick money, it can be a temptation. But um making that shift has been huge. So I'm flipping two houses right now. I've never done that mm-hmm. before. Um I, I've I've held everything I've ever bought and uh, I'm just flipping these two houses because they ended up being worth a lot more than I expected and I can't hold them in cash flow. So like one of them is in Metairie and one of them is in Baton Rouge and they're both, they both have a sales price of about three fifty, and I'm, I'm all into them for way, way less, like under 200. So I'm leaving a tremendous amount of equity in there. So what I do with all my other properties is I do a cash out refinance and pull 80% out. But if I pull 80% of 350 out, I'm not going to be able to, I'm going to be cash flow negative trying to rent that out every month. So I'm I'm just going to sell them to capture the equity. And I'm sure in 10 years, they'll be worth 600,000. I'm going to be pissed that I sold them. But that's, uh, that's, I'll let you know how it goes because I've never flipped a house before and I'm nervous about it. So if you, here's a big thing too, is another thing that was big on my radar was basically pre and post-tax money. So obviously when you start making money, Uncle Sam puts his hand out more and more. And so flipping and wholesaling, when I started getting better at it or doing it in volume, then I started saying, Hey, okay, I need to figure something out here so that I can start keeping more of this money. Right. A lot of it's going out. I want to make sure I can keep, 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 um, and not be bleeding in that. So tax wise. Um, so for example, I've got a property right now. So when you get good at finding properties and finding deals, it, I was joking with a friend this morning. I said, man, when you buy it, so like at such a good price, you then have all these strategies you could do with it. Um, it's like, you have too many strategies sometimes. So I've got a property right now that, um, this is what I would call a, one of my complex deals. So it's creative, but, um, so it had, uh, a million and four, um, it was 1.4 million in liens against it. When I found it, it's a 15 year old house that's been vacant for the last 10 years. Uh, it got tied up in a whole bunch of legal, um, obviously all those liens, everything like that, bankruptcies, foreclosures, stuff like that. And it's been sitting vacant because they had title issues that no one could figure out. So I found it two years ago. Um, and I'm finally to the point right now where I can sell it if I want to. I have finally resolved the title issues, this, that, and the other. 
I'm all into it for 50,000 and it's worth 375 to 400 fixed up, but it needs nearly a hundred in work. And so, um, but what I'm looking at doing is, okay, I can go do that work. I hate rehabbing, especially major rehabs like that. And so I was having the conversation and I was like, look, you know, I could go rehab it. Let's just say I'm all in for 150 and I, I have 235,000 in equity. Woohoo. But I'm going to hate my life for the next six to nine months, rehabbing it, chasing contracts, especially in this market where it's difficult. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But like, it's one of those things, or I can sell it right now for 250, make my 200 and it'd be a good, you know, 250, 275, whatever that, that number makes sense to where it's still a deal on the back end for someone. You know what I mean? And I live in my zone of genius, which, and, and for me, lifestyle wise, right. But here's the big thing is i now have a big tax burden with it. Right. So that's when obviously for two years, I can 10, you know, I can 1031 it, right. You've done those, I think. Um, but when you're doing it in such a short period of time, it's like when you start getting good at it and you start making real money, as I know you are, then, then you start saying, man, I choose my strategy. And you asked me this, how do I, I choose it based on the tax implications a lot of times. Now in the beginning, I didn't, I chose based on what money do I need to put food on the table right now? You know what I mean? Like, so we do a lot of tax planning and a, a couple of different on the topic that I just want to note. So with my holds, and I've made this argument a bunch of times um, because people are like, well, why don't you flip it? And realistically, like I can get, I feel like I can get my hands on as much cash out of a house and hold it as you can flip it. Because mm -hmm. if you think about, all right, you're going to get, you're going to get 80% cash out, right? I buy the property cash. I fix it up. I'm going to get 80% cash out on the cash out refinance. Usually I'm all into it for 60. Mm -hmm. I mean, I usually say I want to be all in for 70% of the ARV, but I usually get the rehab down cheaper than, than my conservative investment. So usually I'm all into it for 60% of the ARV and then I can sell it for 80. And realistically, like the, the appraisers probably say it's worth more than I could actually sell it for. Right. So, I mean, if you factor that in and then you factor the real estate agent fees and then you factor the holding costs and then you factor the taxes, like you're probably, sh if you factor all those things in, you're probably yeah. shaving 20% off the top. So yeah. I go and just do a cash out refinance. Most of my cash out refinances, I end up sticking an extra 20 grand in my pocket you know, on top yeah. of what I'm all into the property for. And that's tax free because it's dead. It's not, yes. it's not a profit. So I do that all, all day, every day. So that's why I've never sold the property. Cause I, I, I just say like, well, I'll put a tenant in there and pay the note and then I'll come harvest it again in five years. You know, my mantra has kind of always been never sell because of that. It feels like I can get now, if I were to do that with those more expensive property that, you know, that works in the 150 to 250 range. Um, if I were to try that with that 300, those $350,000 houses, I, I'd probably end up cash flow negative. And that's, that's not really where I want to be sitting, you know, long-term on something that's bleeding. But, um, the other thing that I've kind of started to do is shift some money into uh, apartment syndications. Those will typically, um, typically do a cost segregation study on the front end and you can take a huge paper loss against those other gains. Right. So I'm like, you know, we're, I'm selling both of those flips next year around the same time. We're putting a lot of money into a large apartment complex. We're doing the cost segment and it's going to, it's going to almost balance out another. Yeah. 
No, and that's great. So we're looking at doing a bonus, depre- a large bonus depreciation, which is different from that cost egg on uh, one of my mobile home parks. And that's one of those things where when you have some of those bigger deals or things like that, or a loss tax wise that can offset it, it's great. That is why, I mean, you, you when you start to get to see people who build wealth, they're looking at, I mean, one of the most valued person on their team is their, their, you know, CPA, right. And for tax strategy. So, um, but not everyone has those big deals. And so that's why, but everyone gets addicted to, Hey, I want to flip. I want to wholesale. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. look, don't get me wrong. That's good and fine. But at the same time, keep in mind, don't get addicted to that active income. Um, yeah. Well, the, the, the whole reason that we're all you know, real estate investors is because we want passive income. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, like we don't want to work. I mean, when it -hmm. it boils down now, ultimately at the end of the day, I've had this conversation in depth with many people and my wife is like the lead one saying, it doesn't matter how much money you have coming in. You're still going to do this. Cause I mean, I really do love, I I love, you know, a portion of this work and I would probably keep doing it even if I didn't have to, but um, realistically the reason we became real estate investors was because we didn't want to go to work every day and flipping is active. I mean, it's, 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 you're trading your time for money. I mean, it can be very, very fruitful, you know, and it can be a lot of money, but ultimately you're like, you have to work to continue making that money. The idea yeah. of being a real estate investor, the, you know, the Robert Kiyosai, you mentioned Richard Porta, the, the philosophy there is like buy assets that produce income for you. So you don't really have to keep working. I know, I know house flippers that cleared way more money than me this year, but like next year they have to go flip more houses or, you know what I mean? Or it's not, yeah. gonna, it's not going to keep, they going. have to repeat that. Yeah. And, and they don't, and that's a huge part to it. Wholesaling, flipping, and even short-term rentals are those are you know the the business concepts don't be wrong i love businesses but at the same time that's where yes you can even build sit and and most people don't ever build the systems to where it's you know more passive passive and they're you know replaced in it but uh i had i had to start divorcing my mind from chasing that and start saying hey how can i get my money working for me because flipping for the most part is my time being traded for money. Yeah. And I wanted to get away from that. And that was a huge part of that mindset shift, which is where holding those assets, not only can I get my money working for me, um, but it, you know, passive, that's passive income. That is so it can be deceptive. It's not ever truly passive. You still got to either have property management, you, you manage it yourself or do whatever. Even if you have property management, you still have to be involved in that process. And absolutely. we we're back and forth all the time. You know? Oh yeah. I talk to mine all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's work. You gotta, you gotta review their accounting. You gotta, you still gotta decide whether you want to spend that. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really not like true, true mailbox money. Like there's, you know, right. there, there is work that goes into, it. I, I had that conversation with my wife. I, I'll, I'll be grumbling about one of the properties. She's like, Don't you have a property manager? What are you grumbling about? I'm like, well, that entirely worked that way. Well, but here's the beautiful thing though, is, is that, I can get them to replace my time, like my time working sure. for that. Right. It's so it's them on their time going and making, and, and then I have a lot less that I am really working when it comes to those properties. But at the end of the day, um, when it comes to, to building that wealth, it is historically only done. You don't, the people who have built wealth through real estate, it's not from 
flipping. It's from the people holding. Yeah. What, um, tell me about your mobile home park. How did that work? And, and do you own the trailers or just the land? Yeah. So, uh, I own both. So I'll talk about the one in Mississippi. So, uh, earlier this year, I decided I want to be in a second market. Um, both of my parents are from Mississippi, so I'm very familiar with the Gulf coast and, um, I want, especially with hurricanes and stuff like that. I wanted something that wasn't in my backyard. Don't go wrong. I'll take it in my backyard too. But so you want a diversification away from yeah, yeah. location-based diversification. I'm the same. I'm the same. So, um, so actually someone from my network said, Hey, uh, someone called a bandit sign and uh, a, we buy houses sign and said, Hey, do you buy, do you buy trailers? Well, what about a whole bunch of trailers? And she said, I like, I don't know what to do. And so I said, look, um, and they were, they were pretty new to invest. I said, look, I'll help you through it. So they ended up making a wholesale fee. So I built them into the deal. Um, and it was a tired landlord, someone who actually bought it right. Um, they actually are from your neck of the woods and they own a ton of single family homes, but they bought, there were two things. It was their first time buying commercial so this um, mobile home park. And then the second thing was they bought, it was a major value add and it was two hours plus away from their home. And they didn't have a team. They were not, they were driving in every weekend to do the work themselves, to find tenants, you know, all of this, right. You grim, it's true. I know it sounded like a whole lot of work, um, <laughs> but they bought it right. And, and that's the key right there is it's not just you being able to buy something. You have to be able to to manage it. Manage it. And uh it, yeah. so so we struck a deal and uh it's so it's actually almost an entire city block and the only thing we don't own is like a small little lot but we'll probably buy that from the owner at some point. But uh it is um the mobile home park plus some other so it has three single family homes. It had a um and then the park which was uh 27 um, uh, which is 22, no, yeah. 22 of them were included park owned trailers. And then five was just the lots that could be rented. Um, and then additionally during that time, there was, uh, in that city block, they had a laundromat that was just abandoned. It was not being used. And, um, so I actually reached out to the owner and bought that at the same time in the transaction as well. So, um, so it comes out, I call it 31 units, right? Like the laundromats, the, the, the 31st unit. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's what we got. But fun story day one, we had six out of 31 tenants. Nice. How, yeah. did, you, how did you finance that? Yeah. So that was financed 100% for the purchase plus the renovation, uh, through what I call a, a financial friend an everyday individual who had money yeah, that they wanted to put to work, a private lender. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Um, who are your mentors? If you, do you mind sharing that? We, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So, so I've had mentors that are people that I've come in contact with, like those people at the Marina. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've had obviously people from books and podcasts and things who will never know my name. Um, 
So when I first got started, those two mentors, um, I, I don't keep in, sometimes they've been for a season. So are you looking for who are like active mentors today or who've influenced me the yeah, most? Well, or- you, you had just, you mentioned mentors later on in the story a few times. I didn't know if you had any like paid mentor, you know, I know yeah. there's guys around and gals around town that, that oh, yeah. their programs and, and, you know, I've always been, I've never paid for for coaching or mentorship, but I've, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I've interviewed enough really successful investors that have done it to be sold on the concept. Um, and I was just yeah. curious if you had any you recommended. So I did my first three or four deals without, with the only education I had was podcast and stuff like that. Right. So free stuff. Um, but after those deals, I started seeing the value. So I've paid at this point, I've paid six figures in education through a ver- various different people. Um, but it has made me multiple six figures, you know, yeah. by doing that. And so, um, so like, for example, I just hired, I hired my friend. This is a friend I've known for at this point, three or four years. And I saw that she was killing, killing it up in St. Louis and that she, she did decide to start coaching because she had, there's just so much that she can share and you can't just go say, Hey, I need 10 hours of your time for you to tell me step-by-step what you did. Right. You just can't ask her that trade from people. Right. So what she did is she's got 200 plus units. Um, so she, okay. So she has 200 plus rental properties, mostly single family and small multis up in St. Louis that she bought, that she bought. She's in her mid mid to late twenties or something like that. Um, so she bought them and she's now she's got her and she owns a property management company. And at any given time, she's got 40 to 60 rehabs going on between her flips and stuff like that. Or she bought a property and she's got to renovate it to get it ready for a tenant or tenant turnover, like all those things. Right. Um, and she's just got a great system. And as you know, the hardest part to all of this is figuring the business side of it out. Um, that's where most people trip up and, and they struggle. It's the delegating, it's the systemizing and the, the technology. And so I just recently hired her, um, to, and so her name's Christina. It's actually funny. Um, I knew her when she was Christina spells and then, uh, she got divorced and now it's her maiden name's Christina Aguilera, but it's not the same. Nice. <laughs> uh, but you guys can, uh, check her out. She's great. So she, um, she's huge on systems. Um, but she was a friend. And some people like, that's your friend. She, no, I support my friend. I went and paid her her fee. And I said, Hey, I want your time to, to learn. Right. And that'll well, make the, me money. Right. The conversation I've heard around that topic is like, even if somebody's like, no, I'll, I'll give you advice for free. We are going to hold back and well, I don't want to call bill again. He's probably irritated with me, you know, but if I paid him 20 grand, like I'm calling him every damn time I like can think of a question, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, and it, it, it clears the air and takes away the guilt and takes away the aggravation. And so I think you did a really great thing there. Yeah. And, and I've looked for coaches and mentors for various different things. Like I hire, I've hired coaches to help me, um, you know, get performance balance, right? Like, because sometimes I have high performance, you know, maybe in business and this, but maybe not in my relationships and my health. 
or this, that, and the other, sure, right? Sure. And so I've hired um, coaches just like all around I, once dude, I learned so, the value of it. I'm so there. I was I was thinking about I was reflecting on this the other day that I, I like I could like I could envision myself having like five different coaches for like all these like like a relationship coach, a health yeah. coach, a, a performance coach, a real estate coach, you know, a spiritual <laughs> yeah. coach. Like yep. I love the idea. Well, once you see the power of it, right? Because and, and everyone gets so tripped up on the cost. Uh, one of my mentors, and I've never I, I don't think I've ever paid him, um, but we've done deals together. And this guy is in his seventies. And I mean, he owns a ton of real estate when like, if he said jump, I'd say how high type of thing. Cause like he's someone who I want to emulate. Right. And he always tells me, he says, Courtney, you think education's expensive? He's like, um, you should try ignorance. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> but, or, and, and it's like, uh, and so, so, you know, he'll go to some seminars and he'll tell me about it. And so I'll book a fight and I'll go and I'll go to these seminars with him. And it's like, um, and he always like talks about how there's some, there's some lessons you can't afford to not learn. Sure. Sure. Awesome. Well, look for the sake of time, because I have another interview at the top of the hour. I just want to hop to our radio round real quick. Sure. Just three questions uh, real quick. What's your favorite book? My favorite book, I'm an avid, avid reader, like 60 plus books a year. So, but I hands down, my favorite book is called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Awesome. It's the number one book that I give out to people that I recommend and I read it once a quarter. Okay. Awesome. Love it. Love it. What's your favorite quote? That's a hard one. Um, I'll say this one. Um, so anything by Jim Rohn. Um, and, and so the first one that comes to mind from him is, um, don't wish to become a millionaire for the million dollars, but wish for it be for what it will demand of you to become in order to achieve it. Sure. Sure. I know that one. That's good. That's awesome. And what's Mm -hmm. your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Uh, I'm very close with my family. So apart from spending time with them, and I've got a big family, uh, is getting outdoors. So everything from hiking to down the water to doing whatever, just getting outdoors. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. How can our listeners find out more about you, get in touch with you, invest with you, learn from you? Yeah. So, uh, if you go to Courtney, 10 K.com, so that's uh, Courtney, the number 10 K.com. It's actually a list of all the links that I have for things. So like you can have, you can see my social media on there. I'm very active on my Instagram where I talk about the day in and life, um, the day-to-day life of an investor. Uh, but I also have things like my real estate investor meetup, like when the next meetup is or the YouTube channel of all the past RIA meeting recordings. So people can check me out there. So Courtney, 10 K.com. Awesome. Well, Courtney, I really appreciate you joining us. I, I'm really uh, glad that you reached out to me yesterday. Yeah. I'd been seeing you. I'd been meaning to get in touch. And I really hope to meet you in person uh, in January at our meetup. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. And I definitely look forward to keeping up with you on your journey. Hey, likewise. Hey, I appreciate you having me. And I'm looking forward to continue building a relationship with you as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or Sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. 
We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.